This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, you ain't going to get anywhere until you find your true will. If you don't know what you truly want, you can be sure you won't get it. that make any sense? If you don't know what you want, you're not going to get it. Because you don't even know what it is. Finding your true will is the essential ingredient in your success. You've got to know what you want. And the beauty is that if you, if you know what you want, the wind will be in your sails and you are going to sail to your destination like, boom, you're going to be there. If you don't know what you want, there's no wind in your sails. It's impossible to get motivated when you don't know what you want. That's why we expressed the other day that the word for want is rats. And it's the root, rats is a two-letter root. It's the root word for both, for both uh, run and want. In other words, being motivated... Being motivated... By your will. Okay? Motivated by your will. Once you know what you want, there's a cup. Once you know what you want, it's gonna be you're gonna be unstoppable. You are literally unstoppable. I know this so well in my life, and I've seen it happen so many times over and over and over again, that I'm literally scared of God. That he knows I know. And I sometimes wonder, like, am I like, am I playing big enough? How big should I play? Like, how much bigger should I be playing? It's crazy. Because you know what's going to happen? I could get upstairs, and God's going to say, Shkoyak Rabbi Yom Tov, good job for, like, a fraction of what you could have done. Because you knew that if you get what you want clear, you can make it happen. But so many of us fall into things. I mean, even how I got to Aish was like, I mean, it was God-given. God it was totally designed that at 23 years old with, like, long hair and, you know, like, buff and tan and, you know, I'm so buff, I'm so tan. Hey, I'm buff and tan. You know, that the, uh, like, I was obviously guided here. You know, but, but what am I still doing here? Or I was obviously born in California, but what am I still doing being so Californian? Like, what is my true will? What is your true will? How do you find your true will? Now, today what we're going to focus on is specifically, we're doing this all week, by the way. We've already, this is our third installment on finding your true will. What we're going to focus on today is specifically what gets in the way of you knowing what you really want. I imagine if we get a showing of hands of people who really, really know what they want, out of their lives. That we wouldn't get a ton of hands. Hopefully we get some hands. But let's uh, get a showing of hands of those who really, really know crystal clear what they want with their life. Raise your hand if you know. Crystal clear. Okay. Very good. So we got a few hands. You can grab a seat anywhere. There's a couple seats all around. That seat's probably the best. Okay. So the rest of us don't know. Now, how is it possible that you got to your age and don't know what you want? Like, when is it, are you like planning that it's going to like, all of a sudden the coin's going to drop and you're going to know all of a sudden, like, what are you doing to get it at? What are you doing to find it? Like, are you, are you like, 
you realize how how naive it is at your age to think it's suddenly going to come. It didn't come. If it didn't come now, it's not going to come. You're going to have to do something to get it. Do you get what I'm saying? It's naive for you to wait around and see if it ever comes clear what you want. You're going to have to do something to figure out what you want. You're going to have to shake something up. you got to shake things up. you got to figure it out. Because until you know what you want, there's not going to be any wind in your sails. And once you know what you want, you're going to sail to victory. So you got to figure this out. And it's got to be, yesterday we discussed this, it's got to be your will. You cannot go on someone else's will. It's got to be your will. That's the only way the magic happens, is if it's truly your will. It's your voice. Yeah. Um, I feel like sometimes in life there are, you have to be, I mean, you have to be cognizant of it, but there are signs that pop up that could point you in the right direction. Oh, yeah. You know? Big um, time. Big time. So I think, you know, being aware and, and really taking in all of your environment plays a big role in finding out. Excellent. And it, excellent. Another thing we did yesterday um, that, you, that you missed was that um, was uh, so he's saying be totally aware and watch the signs. Where's God pointing you? Who are you meeting lately? What's been available to you? What's coming up lately? It's pointing you somewhere. But what's the issue? Is everyone's getting pointed and they're not noticing? We're dense. So why are we so dense? And this is the next thing you got to get in touch with. Why are you so dense and you don't notice God pointing you towards your will? And the answer is, is that you're scared of what they would say. One sec. Let that sink in. You're scared of what they would say. I don't know. Who's they for you? Society. Society. Probably less society and more your parents. It's weird. When it comes to what they will say, the hardest part is the closer they are to you. Who cares what society says? It's what my parents say or what my siblings say or what my best friends say, what my community says, what my uncles and aunts say. What would they say? And so because of the what would they say issue, you can't read the signs properly. So God keeps sending you little hints and you have even hints in your own natural personality beyond all the self-image that you've tacked on, that you cut and pasted from everything else in life. But the actual signs and in the inner voice, the signs are invisible and your inner voice is, is inaudible. I'm going to say it again. The signs are invisible and the, and the inner voice is inaudible when you spend all your life wondering what everyone's going to say. That's what I said before, is you're going to need courage. And you're going to have to step up your game. If you want to make a difference and you want to, I'm sorry, if you want to find your will, which will make the difference. Because your will is what will make a difference. Uh, 
two and a half decades making a difference. And my difference I want to make now for the next 20 years is helping you make a difference. I'm dedicated to helping people, enabling people to make a difference. That's how I want to look at the rest of my life. I made my splash, and now it's just how can I enable other people? Yeah, you want to say something, brother? Um, What's your name? Arjun. I'm Yomta. Um, I was thinking about you saying that it's there is definitely the culture, but there's the cultural aspect. But the internal can sometimes lead you astray. Like I've felt like I followed my gut at times, and it, it hasn't led me to the best places. Excellent, excellent, amazing. Thank you so much, Arjun. Now, here's the other issue, it is trusting your inner voice. Some of us have no trust, and some of us, like, are there at too much trust? And it's like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, a lot of us wouldn't necessarily trust the inner voice, and there's some of us who just over-trust the inner voice. So, so the answer is, is uh, back to our tribal heritage, which I really put in the class yesterday, is in our tribe, you're Jewish, yeah? So you're part of a tribe. Our tribe has ways we do things. And one of those ways is we go to the wise, wise man. We go to the wise man. We speak out our inner voice with him. And he helps guide us. That's all. That's what I was missing. Yeah, that's all you need. I'm sorry, it's my first day. So you're doing great. You're, you're, you're officially initiated. <laughs> you don't have to get beat up? Wow. No, no beat up. Just really yeah. <laughs> anyway, but your inner <laughs> anyway, but your inner voice, your inner voice, Arthur, Arthur, your inner voice is is so important, and I don't want you to lose trust of it, even though you've been burned by it. I don't want you to lose trust of it. All you got to add is is the wisdom. You got to go to the Merlin, okay? And we all do that. I don't make any move without my rebbe's. Okay? I have a Rebbe for this and a Rebbe for that. Today, it's quite compartmentalized. So I have like a Rebbe on the Kabbalistic stuff, and I have a Rebbe on the Halachic stuff, and I have a Rebbe that directs my marriage. I have a Rebbe that directs my children. Um, today, we don't have one-stop shop. Once upon a time, there was. But today, we're, uh, rabbis have to kind of specialize. So, so a couple rabbis here and there. But they, I, you never cross the same questions with different rabbis. Meaning, I have a rabbi go to, to the law. Got a rabbi go to for my marriage. I got a rabbi go to for for Kabbalah. You understand? I'm not crossing the circuits, the signals. Hi, I was just thinking about you guys. I was like, where are they? Um, uh, Ruben, can you just bring in two chairs from the classroom next door and just pop them right where your wife is? Thanks. So, yeah. Oh, what a mensch. Arthur's double. Arthur's in, man. That's it. <laughs> He'll bring in, get out of the way of the door, though, because it's about to open. Or maybe you go help him, because two chairs might be open. I'll wait for you. Any random questions? But really random? Come on, someone's got a random question. Why'd you move here? <laughs> That's random. Uh, I moved here in 1991. Yeah, I was not raised observant. I was raised uh, atheist. And, uh, yeah, I was, raised, I was raised, like, super hardcore liberal. I would have been the biggest BDS guy in the world. I thought marrying a Jew was racist. What are they? Who's they? My parents. My parents. <laughs> <laughs> what did they think? Who are they? You can see how much I was having they be involved in my voice. That I don't know what you're talking about. So, 
Um, I left I left school at, at eleven years old, um, so I was I was very much on my inner voice for years and years and years and years and years, and um, and so they they were just happy I wasn't dead or in jail. I mean, they were like, you know, not that I was that wild. I mean, I was extremely wild, but I was a very good kid. You know, I was very everything you see now is who I was. You know, I was just caring for people, but totally out of the system. Like, I, I couldn't be held down. I was what's called an empathic, uh, 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 oh, there should be a good word for this. Uh, you heard of a sociopath? Sociopath are people who try to break up social systems, social construction, and then there's, but if they're not, an, if they're not empathic, they usually wind up behind bars. And then there's the empathic ones, are like Avram Avino. Avram Avino was a, was a sociopath empath. But since it's got the word path, why repeat it? It's a social empath. <laughs> or a social, an M. I'm social. path. <laughs> Whatever. Social. Sociopath, empath is someone who cares tremendously, but is here to like disrupt. You notice like I'm messing with you guys this whole time? Did you notice that? I am messing with you. And I always will be. If you come in this class, I'm going to mess with you. And if you come to my seminars, I'm going to mess with you. In the seminars, I'm going to mess with you a little more intense. So that's my job. That's how God gave me this job. And that's what I do. And what it does is it, it maintains dynamism in the system. Because the system's going to be there. Like, we're never getting rid of the system. But if you have sociopaths who are empaths, not criminals, you have sociopaths, meaning uh, regular sociopaths actually blow up the school. And... <laughs> Social empaths, they, um, I think that's good, social empaths. Social empaths are, um, are uh, they're going to they're gonna love everyone, including the, the people who are leading the system. They're going to love everybody. But they're going to mess things, mess with people to keep the dynamism. Now, um, is that up or is that a real thing? What? Is that a real thing, or did you make that up? The word or the thing? The word. The word I made up just now, social empath. Oh, so it's like not like in the DSM. There is social paths that are empathic. Those are the majority of them. And then there's social paths who are simply dangerous. Because I thought the opposite of sociopath is, I mean, I thought sociopaths lack empathy. Empathy? Yeah. They're often, in psychology, they rarely make this distinction. Sadly. Sadly. I was diagnosed as a sociopath as a child. Yeah, and it was so sad for me because I was like, "What are you talking about?" Like, like there's no one who loves my teacher more. As a little kid, no one loves the teacher more than me. No one loves the kids more than me. And I, I just, I'm just gonna interrupt her lesson. I'm just gonna mess with the lesson, you know, and see see what happens when I throw a little curveball at the teacher in the middle of her lesson, you know. I'm not, but I, I thought she was the greatest person ever. She was great. I was, I was just messing with her. I was messing with her because I wanted, I wanted truth. That's like oppositional defiance. Yeah, no, no. Once she like put me in my place, I was like, done for the day. We'll wait for tomorrow. Okay. Now, if you look where it's gotten me. It's only getting stronger. Um, now, Uh, someone remind me where we're at? Desire. Yeah, desire. you got to know your true will. You're not going to get anything without your true will. 
The only way to get your true will is you got to get in touch with your voice. you got to have the wise man who's guiding you because that true voice can lead you in all kinds of crazy places. So you gotta, you gotta, but that's what I was saying. It was, it was to don't lose trust in it. And those who don't have any trust in it, find it and trust it. And if you're going to make a move, always ask a wise man. Always ask a wise man. When I say wise man, it could be a wise woman too. My wife has women she goes to and, and rabbis. Now, today what we're going to handle is two major fears that block our path in finding our will. What I want you to do is get to your will, but there's two things that always get in the way of you having your will. And those are these massive, crippling, paralyzing fears that are two specific fears. And those fears are the fear of rejection, and the other fear is the fear of failure. The fear of rejection and the fear of failure. You see, part of the reason why you are the way you are today and the reason you've gone this far without actually knowing what you're here for is because you're still living in the realm of acceptance from the people who are closest to you. <laughs> not society, the people who are actually closest to you. You're still, that's how you live. You're just constantly trying not to rock the boat. So you, as I said before, you're blind to the signs that God's constantly sending your way and you're deaf to the voice because you're always living their will. You're always living what would they say. And so that fear of rejection makes it impossible to find your will. Is that clear? Is that like as clear as day? Is it, uh, we're going to stay until you all tell me this is perfectly clear. That my fear of what they're going to say, which is called rejection, they may reject me. Can you imagine your main support staff in your life, the people who support you the most? Dovid, do you mind bringing a chair or two, please? At least one for now. Um, you can grab Dovid's chair. I'll bring him down here. Welcome. Um, thank you, Dovid. So, can you imagine losing your main support? Can you imagine having your parents go against you? Can you imagine whoever whoever's paying for your life right now just stopping? Can you imagine having the people who you love most and who love you most express very direct disappointment? How would you do with that? How would you do with that? You wouldn't do well. Nobody would do well with that. You just bring them all the way across. Watch your heads, ladies. He'll close it. He'll close it. Or no one would do well with that. I want you to all consider this for a moment. How would you do if you lost all of your support? If you lost, meaning emotional support, consensus about you being okay. What if you lost that consensus about you? <laughs> he already did. He says, I know how I dealt with it. <laughs> this already happened, apparently, for Arthur. It happened to me, too. Yeah, which is the answer, how I dealt with it, because I got it, believe me. How'd you deal with it? Uh, I, I moved out. It was like, I'm going to be on my own, and I'm going to work hard. And for two years, I worked really hard. I became a pharmacy tech, and, uh, and then I just started thrashing. I just started going crazy and pushed everybody away, and... Blocked off myself from myself. And mm. 
Now you're here. <laughs> How old are you? Seven years. <laughs> okay, so there's another way, and I'll be talking about it. There's another way I'll be talking about it now, okay? So, so the answer is as follows. It would be very, very hard. It'd be very hard. That's the answer. <laughs> and it would be amazingly worth it. It'd be very hard. It'd be amazingly worth it. And you stick to your guns. And you know what happens in the end? I'll teach you a principle that will never fail you. And obviously, you can't thrash around like Arthur. No thrashing around. But this will never fail you. And that is that blood runs thicker than values. Blood runs thicker than values. So your loved ones, the blood relatives, they're going to come after you because you rocked the boat. They're going to come after you. But you know what's going to happen after a year or two of you sticking to your guns? Meaning now that you have a different value that you're valuing or wherever you went with it, they're going to come back. Family is more important than such, you know, than your family's more important than the fact that you found your true calling. You're, they're your family. They're never going away. They may be the first to thrash you, but they'll be the first ones back later. They're family. Family is stronger. And I promise you, no matter how much you thrash, they never let go of you. We, we made our but they never let go, yeah, yeah, even at your worst. As much as you tried to shake them, they, could not, they wouldn't get off. They're family. So you just stick to your guns. When you have found your will, and you really got it, and the wise man said, you're on it. You're on it. You're, you're seeing the signs, and you're on it. Your family will turn around later. They may not join you, but they'll at least respect you, and they will say they love you. And we may not see eye to eye, but we love each other, and that's what's most important. So, yes, it's difficult but it's worth it. And also, let's get above it all, because you're going to feel like you're the one who's kind of messing things up. You're not the one messing things up. What's messed up is that people aren't finding their will. That's messed up. That you could die and face God, and he says, where have you been? And you're like, well, my parents were like this, and my school system was like this, which is all going to sound like Chinese, because it's the world of truth, and nothing you're saying has any holds up any water. Nothing you're saying is true. So it's going to, you know, you're thinking you're speaking English, but it's going to come out like, God's like, I can tell you're trying to say something. It just doesn't translate up here. You're like, basically, my parents didn't want me to. You know, God's like, again. So finally you get like an angel who translates. And God like starts telling you the story of Abraham and his father. And you're just like, I know this story. Like, yes, we taught it to you in the Torah so that you'd follow your will. You'd burn his idols. And you'd seek truth. Did his father end up turning around? <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, he did. He did? Yeah, he did Shuva at the end of his life. Terah? Yeah. Not only did he stick with them, he did Shuva. Yeah, he did. 
Whoa. I don't know what that means either, chuba, but there's a measure. So Tarek chuba. does chuba. Yeah. That must have been one of the great chubas. Okay. It's a medrash. It's a medrash. I can literally get it right Ezra's, Ezra's the man. If Ezra says it's a medrash, it's a medrash. Okay. I'm going to find it. All right. Oh, he really wants to find it. Please go find it. Yeah, what's your name? Mike. Mike's going to rock the boat. Rock it. You sure? Yeah, of course. When you say will, you assuming where we are, you're, you mean Judaism. Find your will? No assumptions. No assumptions. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. I just got through teaching a group upstairs calling the Torah document and calling the calling God the author. No God, no Torah. Just document, author. And we went through it. Who authored this thing? No assumptions. Okay, but what you just said could be applied to somebody who's, and I'm just giving a scenario, who's within the religious community who wants to break free. That's right. They can apply the same thing you just said. Their fear of rejection can hold them back. Mm-hmm. But they want to follow their will. Yeah. yeah. And they can wind up out. Out of Judaism. Yeah. And But their family most likely will reject them. Like, um, you'd be surprised what happens a couple years later. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'd be surprised. And, uh, and by the way, I, it would be a terrible mistake. We spoke about this yesterday. And that mistake is that they associate their pain with their tribe, meaning with Judaism. Judaism is our tribe. But what happens is people will, um, people will be raised in a system that hurts them badly, and they wind up associating Judaism with that system, or their parents, like, more involved with the system than with them. The big mistake parents make is they're more interested in their kid actually... Looking, they're, they're more interested in how their kid makes them look than how their kid's doing. You understand? And so, in other words... It's not true. What? It's not, it's not eminent. So what happens is the kid can't help but associate Judaism with what went wrong in their lives. I meet people all the time like this. All the time. Kids were raised observant. They're now out on the streets. And they're single in their 30s or 40s. And, and which always seems to happen, and they meaning they just miss the whole marriage thing and miss the whole love thing, and you know their hearts get ripped to shreds, and they uh, and there they are, and I talk to them, you know they see me, and I like I like this face is just so Jewish, and they're just like, Rabbi, Judaism hurt me, you know, and I'm like, no, it didn't, no, it didn't. You associated your pain with Judaism, but they followed their will. I understand. And they got they got messed up. I'm not. Uh, this this is a long class. Okay. It's been going on all week. But yeah, someone who only watched that caption is gonna. It, you could almost say what I said aided them. In but hopefully my face back to my face. Hopefully my face lets them know that the way out is not leaving your tribe. Leaving your tribe is a great way to stay completely lost for the rest of your life. The pointers that point our souls throughout our lives, those pointers that point the Jewish soul throughout its life, are the pointers that are the ones that are deepest and most organic to us. And I would say the same thing if I met a, I met a, a, a Chumash Indian kid who has left his tribe. And I would say the same thing to a kid from Peru or a kid from Brazil who left the jungle and went to and rejected it all 
I would say go back to the jungle. Go back to the jungle and learn a great teacher. And, and stop associating your pain with whatever happened to you in the jungle. If you want to live outside, you can live outside, but stick with the pointers of your people. Now, I'll make one more distinction since Mike's bringing up issues. Is another distinction is if the if it's a religion, tribes and religions are two very different things. I've used tribe very specifically. Someone who's raised in a religion, which Judaism is not, Judaism's a tribe. But if someone was raised in a religion, then I suggest they 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 start moving towards truth. And you'll notice at Asian Tour we never use the word religion about Judaism, and we never use the word orthodox, which means strict. We are not strict at all, and we are not, um, and we are not religious people. Okay? So just get those words out of your vocabulary. Okay? Religion is things that man make up, and Judaism and all the other tribal traditions are, are people who, who received very, very direct connection to the create, from the Creator into creation and have aligned their lives with that message. Now, the tribes didn't get any, you know, that specific a message. We got an extremely specific message. Like, I don't know what was up with God that day, but he like went OCD when we got our message. But our message is like kind of packed with info and uh, do's and don'ts. And they have do's and don'ts too in the tribes, but nothing like this. Yes. Uh, religion is a cult on steroids, meaning, meaning if you were hiking in the woods and you came across a cave and you found like nine people bowing down to one guy who's like, I am God, or I'm the son of God, or I heard the word of God, and everyone's like, we believe, we believe. Yeah, would you say you found a religion or a cult in that cave? It's a cult. Now, just add people. <laughs> What happens? The term religion is a is a um, religion is something that w is a legitimizing term for when you have a large population of people believing in something, and and you're going to have to deal with them, and so we call that a religion. Um, Judaism isn't from a cave with some guy going like this, okay? Or it's three million people standing at the base of a mountain having a full THX surround sound Omni Max. 3D LSD blow-away experience. <laughs> three million people. Three million. Like, you can't fake three million. And look at it. We're all, like, forever different. Jews are always different. We're always going to be so different than everybody. It doesn't. You can be the most secular Jew in the world. Tattoos, body piercings. You know, you don't speak a word of Hebrew... You're, you you run a, a you run a, a gay dance club in Las Vegas, and the last person who did anything about Judaism in the family you have no recollection of. And I promise you, if I hung out with that guy for a couple of hours, it would be amazing how Jewish he is. It's we're, it's forever. It's forever and ever and ever. We're part of a tribe. You can align with that tribe, or you can be spaced out to the tribe. There's a seat right here for you. 
Now, rejection is a major issue of what will they say. But I just want to share with you a little insight, because you're going to feel like in that debate of what you're up to in your life, when you rock the boat, in that debate, I just want you to know that you got the upper hand, and I want to show you how. You got the upper hand, and the way you know you have the upper hand is as follows. There's two things I'm going to tell you. First of all, they probably know nothing about what you're up to. So they can't exactly argue intellectually here. It's purely emotional. So you can call them out on that. It's not very nice to call them out. You can always call them out on the fact that they're arguing about stuff they know nothing about. Now, since they know nothing about it, you can tell them, you know, I want to have this conversation. So here are the sources. Here's the YouTube links. Here's everything. Go look up what I'm up to. Check it out. You, want to, you still disagree? Let's talk about it like adults. But don't come arguing to me on something you know nothing about. It's not an intellectual discussion. That's one reason why you have the upper hand, um, because they don't even know what they're talking about. And the second reason you have the upper hand is because the, their, their whole issue is that they need you to be who they are. See, you've been thinking all these years, you need them to be who you are. That's what we've talked about. They, you need them to be who you are. But the funny thing is, they need you to be who they are. We all need each other to be who we are, as long as we're playing that, that game. So, what we don't recognize is we're the missing piece in their puzzle. So they can't keep pretending. It makes it hard. See, everyone lives in what's called a fictional agreement. Every person's in a fictional agreement. And that fictional agreement is something that each family kind of keeps going. Now, obviously, if you're living in a Torah tribal family, it's not fiction. But all the, so, all the cultural overtones are, are fictional. And when you play that game, everyone gets to play their game. But when you stop playing the game, they, don't, they lose their own identity. They're the ones having the identity crisis, not you. You're finding yourself. They're losing their identity. You understand what's going on here? You're the one finding yourself. You're the one without the identity crisis. They're the ones with the identity crisis. But it looks the exact opposite. It looks like you have the identity crisis. You don't have an identity crisis. You're finding the identity. You're the one who's actually gotten somewhere with identity. They're the ones having the identity crisis. Because they don't know who they are if you're being who you are. You can, they can only be who you are if you just keep being who they are. They can only be who you are if you keep being who they are. And if you be who you are, they don't know how to be who they are. But that might be the biggest favor you could ever do for them. How many people have I met over the last couple decades who, when their kid rocked the boat and went to find truth, and they found that truth, that the parents jumped on board, just like Tara. How many people jumped on board? Many, many people, my parents included. They fought me tooth and nail for my, my desire to keep Judaism. My parents fought hard. I got uh, one person said that this back in faxes. We didn't have email back then. It was in the early 90s. One person said that the faxes my father sent were the angriest faxes he had seen in Asia tour history. I just stuck to my guns. So they flew to Israel to get me out of yeshiva. Did you read the faxes? Of course I read them. I read him and I showed him the rabbi. I'm like, oh. And at one point, it worked. And I actually went to call the travel agent. 
to, to leave Israel. And this, the rabbi had showed those facts to a few weeks earlier, was right there. So I said, I, I got to go back. Like, this is, this is getting too intense. Because it was really angry. He said something amazing. He said, uh, he said, Yom Tov, if your parents had any idea what they stand to gain by you sitting and studying here, they would, in, uh, if, if your parents had any idea what they stood to gain by you sitting here in yeshiva and learning Torah, in this world and the next, they would chain you to this table. Your parents would chain you to this table. The only reason they're fighting so much is they don't know what they're doing. They're living the American nightmare. And the fact that you caught on to the fact that the American dream is actually a nightmare and got yourself the hell out of there, it's just freaking them out. But if they had any idea of the truth of what you're up to, they would chain you to the table. Now, I stayed. My parents came to get me out of yeshiva. They stayed. My older brother came to get me out of yeshiva. He stayed. My other older brother... He stayed. And my whole family was transformed because of the truth-seeking that I was born with. Do they live here? No, they all live in L.A. <laughs> <laughs> I'm booking a flight, though. I'm going to go hang out with them a little bit. Ride the waves. So, in that order. I'll hang out with them in the car until we get to the house. <laughs> now... My, my family really wonders sometimes, you know, when I visit California, because, because I mean, if there are good waves that day, you know, we're going to be having our first conversation a little later. So, they understand. I mean, they, they spent so many years with me, years of surfing. They know, like, surfing's like the least faithful lover in the world. You know, it's like, there's just so many variables. Wind direction, swell direction, swell size, high tide, low tide, crowds. You know, when are the crowds or when are the not? I mean, it's like, it's the worst sport ever. <laughs> you know, unless you got money. And then you go on these little surf safaris to like, you know, the Mantawa Islands or Indonesia or something like that. You get your own little cabana right off the waves. And, and why am I talking about this? What's your cabana? Don't worry about it. What am I talking about? Talking about rock My parents, oh, rocking the boat. Parents came to get me up. Parents Ah, so I just want to say no. I just want to say one point. Here's the point. Check out this point. Amazing. All the years that I saw my parents uh, do what they did, so I always understood what that rabbi was saying. Now, oh, I never thought my parents were going to come actually join me. So I always understood the rabbi's talking about the next world. That the next world, my parents are going to get up there. They're going to be in some court case for their lives, and you know the you know. The, I don't know what God's going to ask my dad, but he's going to be like, what's with staring at all those cheerleaders at the games, and what's with all the Dodger dogs, and you know, it's not kosher, and I don't know what they would throw at my poor dad. But my dad would have just said, oh, you know what they'd hear? They'd hear in the background, Yiskada, Yiskada, Shmeiraba, in, in heaven. And they're like, what the hell? What is that? And my dad's like, that's my son in Jerusalem. He's saying Kaddish. And, and the, everyone in the courtroom is going to be like, huh? This guy? That guy? That's his son? <laughs> and my dad's like, sure. That's my boy. <laughs> Very proud. <laughs> Lie. So. <laughs>
So I, I always understood why the next world it would have been good for them to chain me to the table. I never understood this world. I mean, obviously they became observant, so now I understand why this world. But I, the rabbi didn't know that. The majority of parents don't become observant because their kid did. So check it out. This is amazing. After 17 years of marriage, my parents fly back to the U.S. for maybe 20 years of marriage. Parents fly back. And I called them and I said, how was your trip back? How was going back to, you know, L.A.? Everything called them. And they're like, you know, the hardest thing about going back to L.A., hardest thing about going back here is, is that we can't tell anyone how our trip really was. And I said, why? They said, well, go explain to people who don't even have one Jewish grandchild, and many of them don't have any grandchildren, I was at my mother's 70th birthday party. There were 200 Jewish friends of hers there. We went over the list later to see how many of them had Jewish grandchildren. Just Jewish. Forget observant. Not one Jewish grandchild of 200 guests at the party in L.A. Not one Jewish grandchild. It, it is an absolute nuclear disaster, the assimilation. Thank God for, you know, whatever my parents put into me that I was at least receptive when I got here. But my parents said, when we go back to L.A., we can't, sh how are we supposed to tell them what it's like having eight Hasidic grandchildren singing Shalom Aleichem to us, like serenading us? My kids come out and wash their hands for Hamotzi. My kids, our kids walk us to our hotel after the meal. They, they, there's just this constant honoring going on with my children. And so my parents said that they won the, they found out in the end they won the lottery and we're so sorry that we hassled you when you followed your dreams. And that's when I finally understood the rabbi. He said, would they stand again in the next world and in this world? Because they're getting that nachas while still in this world. Now, so rejection, you always have the upper hand. And I'm going to give you one last hint on rejection, then we've got to move on to failure. The other thing you have to know about rejection, and by the way, I'm doing an in-depth work on this next week for women. So if any women would like to join it, we're going to be going deep, 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 deep on like knocking out the stuff that's in the way. And it's going on, uh, it's called The Possible You, and it starts Sunday. It's the first one I'm doing for women in a year in Jerusalem. So if you're hearing me say this right now, you have to at least expect that God's pointing you somewhere. And I also, uh, the first night is free and a total intro. Meaning anyone who wants to check out the first night, it's, uh, you can just come on Sunday. Just come on Sunday. That's it. And uh, it's, it's going to start at 6 o'clock. And uh, the address is online. So it's called the possible you dot org. Okay. And uh, the other thing I want to tell you about it is that those of you who are willing to um, check it out online instead of coming in to check it out, uh, you'll get a lot more out of it by being committed already. So you have all weekend to figure out if this is something that's for you and to get yourself committed and come in on Sunday, ladies, and get to work as opposed to coming in to check it out. Because when you check it out, you don't grow. It's only, you only grow when you're in to something. So... But anyone wants to check it out, it's Sunday night in Shari Chesed. And it's behind the Mayan Oak Shul. But the, the exact address will be online. Info, sorry, uh, thepossibleyou.org. Uh, make it happen.
No. Um, anyone have Wi-Fi? Uh, anyone have iPhone now? That's online. Yeah. Do you mind just going to thepostview.org and finding the address? I need to know it. <laughs> I'm not sure. Oh, you know the address? Oh, she's got the address. One more thing I want to say about rejection is, you got it? Yeah. yeah. You can just say it. Oh, I can't. You can't say it. Uh, oh, shit. Shit. Farim. Is this where Nekemeyer writes? Yeah. Yeah. Oops, Shfarim. Street one. One. Ah, that's that. Oh, we need Farm Street one and six p.m. <laughs> Someone asked Nekemar not to race that. Okay, that's for the ladies, six o'clock. Now, one more thing about rejection that's important to know is that the bigger you play in your life, the more people are going to be wondering what you think of them. Think about it. Are you more afraid of what I think of you right now or what this dude in the back in the sweater thinks of you? Okay. Which one? Who are you more concerned what he thinks of you? Yeah. Me. Because it seems like I'm playing bigger. That's all. Now, once you find your will, remember today, today, this week, we're doing how to find your will. Once you find your will and you start living it and you're, you're doing it, which, of course, you got to get out of uh, the fear of these, because these are what... You guys might have forgotten. These are what keep you from knowing it. So you've got to break through these things. If you don't break through these, you'll never know. But the amazing thing, once you find your will, everyone's going to wonder what you think of them. There's a woman who found out the secret. Her name's Lori Palatnik. And she just said, hmm, the Jewish people are dying. I'm married to a rabbi who's doing some good stuff. But I could actually save the world. And, you know, the more I save the world, the more everyone starts wondering what I think about them. And she literally, like Moses into Pharaoh, splits the sea wherever she goes. The lady just splits the sea. Everyone's just like, to Lori. Now, she knows I know her secret. So when she comes by me, she's like, what's up, young I'm like, give her the good word. Because she knows the secret. And I know she knows the secret, so I'm not bound down to Lori Platnick. We're just colleagues. We're friends. But you just can't imagine the power she has. Because she knows the bigger you play, the more everyone wonders what you think of them. So for you to spend your life playing small, because what would they say? It's ridiculous. The bigger you play, the more everyone's wondering what you're thinking. Isn't that clear? You got that, Mike? Mark? Mike, you get that, Mike? You get that, Arthur? Everyone got that? It's a subtle point. But stop playing small. Because what would they think of you? The bigger you play, the more everyone's going to wonder what you're thinking of them. And then regarding failure, we're going we're gonna to end with failure now. Regarding failure is, is simply that failure is your friend. You've got to chew on the fat of failure. Failure is your best teacher. See, most people taste failure once or twice, and they run the other way. They never go back. But successful people... They taste failure, and they just, they just chew on it. 
Thank you for teaching me what doesn't work. Now I am much clearer about what does work. Failure is your best friend. Failure is the great wise teacher. And I suggest watching a one-minute YouTube video of the greatest basketball player who ever lived, which I can't remember his name. Michael Jordan on his failures. He lists his failures. Failure is your best friend. Failure is your teacher. Thank you very much. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.